Hello, my name's Richard Cox and I'm here with Tim Freak. Uh, we made a video last week and we enjoyed it so much we decided we'd try and do some more. So this week I'm going to ask Tim a bit about Zen. Um, Tim, you've written a few books on Zen but I'd like to get your personal kind of experience and opinions of it today but before that can you just define for everyone quickly what Zen is in its cultural context. You know, we're talking about. <laughs> Zen is the indefinable. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of true, really. You know, just defining what Zen is is, is probably uh, you know one of the hardest things you could ask in its cultural context. Yeah. Actually, um, so Zen is a form of Buddhism, which, according to legend, was brought to China by Bodhidharma, who's a kind of legendary sage. Um, who doesn't have much of a big impact, actually, in his own lifetime, but is a quirky figure, um, who sets the seeds for what will become something called Chan in China, and which then eventually comes this form of Buddhism reaches across to Japan, and that's where it gets called Zen. So it's a form of um, Buddhism, and it's Mahayana Buddhism. So it's come from the northern tradition, um, the greater vehicle, as it's called. Okay, and... 1400 years after that <clears throat> you're a young man in Yeovil it's the 1970s how do you get into Zen how do you come across it uh, well it's the 1970s and <laughs> um, I guess uh, living in the west country of England in Yeovil um, the 60s arrived in the 1970s and what had been happening in the 60s was this explosion of eastern spirituality and I think the key figure probably for Zen is Alan Watts. Mm -hmm. um, his book um, on Zen, The Way of Zen, uh, really made a big impact. And people were, were looking east for meaning and there was this, this explosion of, of rebellious thought. And there's something inherent in one way of seeing Zen, which is very um, anti-authoritarian. It captured that anarchic spirit of the 60s and it was it was you couldn't have gone any further east to bring something new in um so there was a real feeling of that in the air zen was in the air as, as all eastern spirituality was and i i'd had my spontaneous awakening which i've written about and talked about a lot when i was young about 12 mm -hmm. and then gone looking for what what was that and the place i ended up looking which was already in the air i didn't have to look far in the counterculture was eastern spirituality one important strand of which was zen and so I started talking to people and I mean, I can remember going up to someone a little bit older than me, seemed a lot older at the time, going who, who understood Zen, apparently, and going, you know, can you tell me about Zen? Can and I remember him looking at me very sagely. I, he was, must have been very young, actually, and going, you can't read about Zen. You have to find out for yourself. And me thinking, wow, that sounds great. I wonder what that is. And then that would start me off. And then, and, and then coming across books like um, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones mm -hmm. by Paul Reps, which is a you know is still a classic. All those quirky little Zen stories and so was it. it was obvious to you from the start that Zen was a, a different expression of this perennial kind of truth and related to this experience you'd had. That you've talked about on the hilltop and other kind of philosophies. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that developed quite soon for me because I was reading books like Eldless Huxley, The Perennial Philosophy, mm. which was already starting the idea off in my head that all of these things were saying the same things in different cultures. Um, but to begin with, it was just its sheer craziness, its uh, audacity. And, and, and why, why I particularly like Zen is that it had started for me 
with my own questions and then my own direct experience of awakening. And here was a philosophy which was seen to be anchored in a direct experience of awakening, which kept on going, throw all the rest out, come back to the, just mm-hmm. have the, have the, ooh, have that moment. So how end. do you think, um, how do you perceive Zen contrasts with other kind of mystical philosophies, whether it's Advaita in India or the Christian mysticism? What's the kind of similarity and difference with Zen? Well, it really depends how closely you look. Mm. Um, you know, stand way back and they're all kind of saying the same thing. Come up closer and you see there's cultural differences. Uh, come up closer still and you see that within each tradition, there's a, the whole range is actually, is actually in each tradition. So if we find the middle ground, which is the easiest place to contrast them, then there's this feeling in Zen that it's a highly experiential, that it's not bogged down in dogma, um, that it really focuses on a kind of, um, I mean, what, what gets called crazy wisdom is mm-hmm. a very center, central to it. In, in anything to wake you up, anything to wake you up, anything to wake you up, no rules, no rules. Actually, Zen isn't like that at all. And that's one version of Zen. Mm. That's the, the, what, what Alan Watts called beat Zen. You know, it's the, it was, that was the Zen we wanted to hear about. Yeah. Because it reflected where we were at in the 70s and the 80s. Actually, you know, I've, I've been to Japan now and I've, I've, I've sat in Zen temples and they're very conservative places. And it's not at all crazy and anarchic. It's people dressed up in their... It's priests. Sure. It's, a, it's a priesthood. Well, I've always wondered this because the books you read here are all about rebels, right? Yeah. Like Ikkyu and the guy that breaks all the rules and yeah. burns statues of the Buddha or the scriptures or something. But that does rather imply there's a whole structure there to rebel against. <laughs> and you never read about it, but it's just always... Very good insight, and that's exactly right. So what you've got is this tension, which is in actually in all traditions, because it's actually a tension in humanity between something which is, about, you know, which is conservative and something which is iconoclastic. So we associate in the West, Zen, with our iconoclastic mm-hmm. spirit, and it's definitely there. The, the other thing is that, you know, there's a big difference, I think, in... Chan, China and weapons in Japan. Oh, right. China and Japan are very different cultures. So in China, the the early Zen seems far more Taoist. Mm-hmm. Um, something which Alan Watts pointed out was that he couldn't find any reference to meditation at all. Right. So it, you know, was it about sitting, looking at white walls? Then it's there was there is now stories about Bodhidharma spending you know nine years or whatever in silence staring at a white wall, but you don't hear about that until the eleventh century, twelfth mm-hmm. you know, century. So earlier than that, we don't know what it, it feels like. It's much more organic, much more influenced. So it's a meeting, really, as one might expect, of this new Buddhism coming in with this much more fluid, naturalistic Taoist uh, culture where it really does feel like it's like that whole relax and be natural. But by the time it reached Japan, it's sit with a straight back yeah. and, and, and have people hit you with a big stick to keep you awake, which much more reflects that Japanese culture. But even in Japan, it's, there's a lot of crazy figures as well. Yeah, I noticed that because Zen was one of the first things that um, really interested me because this talk of being very in the moment seemed to resonate with experiences I'd had. And that's the, the first kind of time I picked up on people writing about something that related to an experience I'd had. Um, so I latched onto that. But there seemed to be this 
almost unspoken contrast between the people whose quotations would appear in books from way back in time in this kind of very natural flowing feel to it and the writer of the book itself who would be much more rigid and you've got to kind of force yourself into the moment and try and stay there as hard as you possibly can and and yeah and that tension you know permeates right through i mean you know alan watts ended up being a spokesman special after his experiences of lsd for a very naturalistic Taoist form of zen um he was very influenced by dt suzuki the great zen scholar who I never really related to, who also ended up being very critical of Alan Watts because he felt like he was kind of, he thought it wasn't about how you, you know, D.T. Suzuki seemed to think it was about how you did the meditation properly. Mm. Whereas I don't think Alan Watts thought meditation was even important, um, necessarily. Interesting that the, the, probably of all of the, the modern Zen teachers, the one that, that touched me the most deeply was Shunri Suzuki. Mm-hmm. who came across and taught in America. And, and there's a collection of his talks called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which I absolutely loved and still do. And what you get from him is, is somewhere in between, really. He, he, is, you know, he really was very supportive of Alan Watts and much more able to, but he was also definitely in the Zen tradition. Mm-hmm. He was a trained Zen uh, master and was able to, you know, to talk about it from that perspective as well. So there's a there's a whole range, and and that's just the way it always is when you get up close. So I think the key thing with that is my attitude is okay. Well, in that case, we should cherry pick, yeah, the things which speak to us today in our culture and say thank you very much. We'll have those. Did it, it, I know you've written in other contexts of Eastern spirituality about a baby in a bathwater effect. That's that's true of Zen too. You think that we've got a I think it's true of all of them. I mean, I mean, I'm, uh, and 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 that may be a personal thing. I mean, I'm sure there's some people that get really drawn to the formalities of things. I don't. I really want the immediate experience. So what I look to Zen for is that its ability to just go and just cut through. Again, in Zen itself, you know, there are two distinct paths. There's the immediate path and the gradual path. So the same dichotomy you get with all the rest. The gradual path, the, the the image is to clean the mirror, clean the mirror, clean the mirror, mm-hmm. work on yourself. The, the, the direct path is just see right now. Don't wait a moment. See it now. Look at this moment now. So, I mean, I actually think we need both of those. I'm a paralogical thinker. I think they come together. They, we, don't, we don't have to fight between which is right. But the thing I look to Zen to is its ability to, to give me that that Zen moment. And so when I wrote, for instance, Lucid Living, I think my understanding of Zen was a massive influence. Right. What I wanted to do in that book was was not have any reference to anyone or anything. I just wanted your experience right now in this moment as simple and as deep as it can possibly, possibly be. And for me, that's my Zen book. That's, mm-hmm. that's not a book about Zen. I've written two or three books, which I hope are really good, about Zen. But that is my Zen book. Right. Does that contrast? I'm really curious to know. Um, there is this feel in Zen, uh, perhaps associated with the gradual path of enlightenment being something you attain, maybe over a 20-year period or a 20,000 lifetime period, um, and it's something you get, and it's like the switch goes on, and that's that's kind of quite an Eastern way of looking at it. So is, is that contrast there too? Then, of because um, lucid living. It's written more in the vein that this is something you sink into, come away from, sink into again, and it's something that's always accessible, but not something that you attain in that sense. 
Yes, the, the, there's a definite uh, attainment idea which exists in the East, which is this this arriving, and it, and, it, and it goes right back to the idea of the circle of death of samsara, of birth and death, that you can come off the cycle, that you're, you know, we're stuck in an illusion, all of those very um, common, actually, in the whole of esoteric philosophy. I don't like them. I feel like um, we've grown out of that. So I don't relate to that at all now. I much prefer what arose in the East in that respect, which was the idea of um, ever, move, ever evolving, ever moving forward into greater communion with the one or with God. And that your humanity was part of that journey, not something to be left behind or overcome or eradicated even. So that Eastern model of, of enlightenment, it seems it, there's, a, there's a hardness to it. I mean, again, not in Taoism, of course. Taoism doesn't have that. So that's why I'm much more drawn to that Chinese way of thinking. By the time it reaches Japan, then it really is. I mean, there's stories about Zen masters who kill their students mm. with sticks to wake them up. And when questioned about this, goes, yes, but, you know, for everyone I kill, one, one, one becomes enlightened. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, these are probably apocryphal stories. But, you know, there was a time when I would read those stories and think, wow. And now, as an older man, I read those stories and think, whoa, that is... Yeah, I remember having that experience of um, really being drawn in when I was very young to that. I'm thinking, you know, that there's a story about them cutting a cat in half as two groups of monks arguing a cat. The monk cut the cat in half and then another monk comes in, puts his shoes on his head and walks out of the room. And I'm sitting there just baffled by this. Um, but also, as I got a bit older, disturbed by my ability to be taken in by that. And you think, well, this is how cults start, you know, because I would have believe that for a while there that of you know anything a zen master did would have been justifiable because it's helping someone slip into this super state of consciousness and yeah and that's the way it has become in a lot of cults and i suspect it's like that in a lot of eastern cults like it is in western cults and and certainly it is in the guru cults i mean that so that once you've got that it is a dangerous idea there's something like a, it, as a young man i did find it attractive there was a craziness there that like, there was a way of going breaking through convention which and and it works too i mean i can remember times when i would be stuck in some repetitive action either in an argument or just in myself and i would stop and stand on the table and put a shoe on my my head <laughs> and it would work i would be in a different state of mind it would be like wait tim what are you talking you know why are you stuck in this that you, you know it's a certain way it's certain, great in arguments because you know you just make a fool of yourself and then everything just cracks up and so it's good but also it's potentially, and, and the Bodhidharma, I mean, the story with Bodhidharma is that he only accepts his student, who becomes the second patriarch of Zen, uh, after a student cuts off his, run, mm. his left arm. No one's done that one of your retreats yet, have they? Well, Richard, I was going to mention that if you really wanted to get what I was saying, then I was thinking maybe you could do your right. <laughs> no, thank God for that, because, you know, it's like, again, what, what's of interest to me now is like you've said, looking back, why did I, why did I, what made me go, ooh, that's dedication, mm. <laughs> rather than, <laughs> whoa, I mean, why didn't I just read that and go, okay, well, I'm not interested in that, that's nutty, um, and what that tells me about me. Uh, yeah, quite, yeah. I, I'm glad I did keep going with it, though, because also in Zen, I mean, there is something it's so anti-authoritarian. I mean, it, you know, and as a as somebody who who grew up with 
that spirit. Uh, my generation and the generation before, I think, were particularly caught up in that. And there is something so sweet about it and rebellious and naughty. Naughty, I think. There's a, there's a naughtiness which is kind of attractive. Okay, Tim. Well, to finish it off then, thank you for all that. Um, what's your favourite little Zen story or koan? Ooh. God. Oh, that's one to drop on me. What's my favourite? There's so many, isn't there? So many. So many. I think... I, I mean, I'm tempted to tell some of the funny ones, but I'm not. We've had a good laugh, and we've talked about the things in Zen which are good and bad. So I'm going to end with one which I think is actually profound and deep, which is the koan. A koan, for people that don't know, a koan is is a question where to answer it, really, you have to see reality in a new way. So you don't just come out with the answer. is It's like you have to actually see reality differently. So the koan that I think is amazing is, what is your original face? Sometimes it's, what was your original face before you were born? And I think what that does is it pushes me back to look at myself I noticed something which Douglas Harding, who was very influenced by Zen, the, the English mm. teacher, is dead. I noticed something he, which he saw in an enlightenment moment, which is I can't actually see my own face. That what I see is a body with the world on top. And that's what I actually perceive myself with my eyes, uh, which is kind of quirky. And then it throws me back into this presence of awareness, which is looking at everything. And at that point, it feels like my original face is the whole world. That everything which I'm experiencing is, is, is what I am. Um, and that that pre-exists Tim. It's pre-exists him in this moment. And I suspect it pre-exists him in time also. So there's a whole meditation which unfolds from that koan, which I find, I have found and still do, um, absolutely amazing to, to dwell on and contemplate. Mine is much simpler than that. It's peaceful pond, frog jumps in, plop. <sighs> Basho. <laughs> Isn't that great? Those moments, that little, that moment where you just, that, that's what Zen is so good at. And you, in the haiku, you just get it. I mean, that's the whole thing we haven't even talked about, which is actually, I think for most people, Zen is an aesthetic. Zen is black and white pictures. Zen is minimalism which is just huge for us. I mean, I'm sitting in front of an Apple computer, which is full of Zen design and it's minimalism. Sitting in a Zen garden when I was in, in uh, Kyoto this year, and just, oh, the... Mm -hmm. And there's a whole... They've given us a, an awful lot in terms of just how we perceive reality through aesthetics as well, which is amazing. So, okay, well, I'm going to give you another one then to end with. Okay. The, the other great current I love is just the word mute which means not. And that is really, it's the, the Zen version of the via negativa, uh, which is found in Christianity and also, of course, in Advaitic philosophy in India, which is just looking at everything and going, not that, not that. What am I? I'm not that. I'm not that. I'm not my body. I'm not my thoughts. I'm not the world. I'm not and just everything. No, 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 no. Until there's this something remains which you can't say what it is. And that's what we are. 
And why I felt that was a great one to end our conversation was that's what we started with, because that's Zen. And you said, what is Zen? And I went, it's a thing you can't define. And I think that's right. It's what's left after you have mewed, gone mew to everything. Mew, mew, everything, every thought, every thought, every thought, mew. No, 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 until there's just ah. Well, thank you, Tim, for that. I've really enjoyed that discussion. I hope other people have too. And if so, we'll make some more videos. So we were thinking next week of recording one on the guru, the concept of gurus, the good and bad in that. So if anyone has anything they'd like me to ask Tim about that, uh, leave a comment on the Facebook page or beneath this YouTube video, and I'll put something together. Oh, and you can purchase Tim's books on Zen from the website. We'll put a link beneath the video. You don't need a, an ebook reader. You can read them right at the desktop. Um, Zen made easy. I think it's a does what it says on the tin, really. It makes Zen quite easy and accessible. So, okay, Tim, thank you very much. Thank you, Richard. It's been a real pleasure.